The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. Welcome. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today we're going to be talking about digital dilemmas or the digital museums in the digital age. And as uh, my listeners can probably know uh, I grew up in the analog age. Uh, I remember being at the Newark Museum in the late uh, 80s, early 90s, and I got my very first computer in my office. I was so excited. Now, of course, they only gave them to uh, department heads in those days. And, uh, I, of course, it wasn't connected to the Internet, and we spent a lot of time creating our very own simple software programs uh, to and at the time we didn't even think that they could ever be better than the card catalog we were using to uh, uh, maintain the collection catalog uh, collection catalogs. Uh, and slowly but surely we began to see that it was a little bit better, but it wasn't any faster. Well, now things have changed significantly, and uh, I was also reminded that it really wasn't that long ago that Soma Thomas wrote a book called The Virtual and the Real when we were still discussing. There were actually programs at AAM where we would say, is it better to have the real object or is a virtual object okay? Well, luckily, we have moved far beyond those discussions of either or, but there's still many, many questions in my mind. And more importantly, are they the right questions to be asking in this digital age? So to, I am very, very excited to have on my show today a new friend, Nick Honeyset that is going to help us understand the questions we should be asking and how we can really put our uh, discussions about digitization within a broader context of risk, entrepreneurship, and, and innovation. Now, Nick, as many of you know, is head of administration for the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles. He administers the museum's two campuses in Brentwood and Malibu. And formerly, he led the Getty's Web Group. 
And before moving to Los Angeles, he was head of production at CoGap, which is a UK-based consulting agency that specialized in interactive and online media for the cultural section in Europe and the U.S. He sits on the board of the American Alliance of Museums and the Balboa Park Online Collaborative. And later on in the show, I'll make sure you all know how you can uh, read Nick's blogs. Uh, he he blogs a great deal about this subject, as well as how to how to reach him to, to continue the conversation. So without further ado, Nick, welcome to the show today. Carol, thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, Nick, uh, I guess to, to begin this um, discussion, I'd, what experience or experiences have influenced your thinking about museums in the digital age? Um, that's a really good question. I don't think it's a single experience. It's, it's a number of, it's a continual experience when you see somebody launch a technology. I have this kind of philosophy about the launch party of, you know, when you've built something in a museum, you have this launch party to celebrate you creating this, you know, kind of technology installation. And nobody's really thought about what that means in it for the next couple of years. And so it's a, um, the, the problem with that is it's like driving a new car off a, um, uh, you know, off a dealership. You know, the second you drive it off the car, it's, it's, you, you've lost a huge amount of value and, and it starts to degrade. And that's the same thing with technology. And so, you know, a lot of my experiences are influenced by you, you really have to step away from the technology and think, you know, how is this thing going to be sustainable? How is it going to support, you know, creating curiosity, creating engagement? And, and I'll, I'll give you one recent example. Um, I don't know whether you've seen, have you seen Gallery One at Cleveland Museum of Art? No, I haven't had a chance to see it directly. It's, Why don't you tell a us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's a fantastic installation. Um, most of the, the press is, is kind of centered on, they have this huge 40, uh, it's about 40 foot by 10 foot wall, which kind of in, allows you to build a tour of the museum. And it, it syncs with a, uh, an iPad, and it allows you to build a tour and, and go and view, uh, walk around the galleries and, and, and get you know, more information about it. But there's also, it's actually in a, in a couple of galleries, and there are some absolutely stunning and engaging interactives that um, they've created that really do create a connection between the works of art and, and the visitors. But, but the one thing that resonated with me most of all, and, and is exactly what I'm talking about, is... So on this 40-foot wall, there are eight um, kind of docking uh, platforms where you dock your device. And yet they, they are designed for an iPad 1. And when I saw it, it was literally the day that the iPad 2 was launched, which has a, a smaller form factor. And right. it, just, you know, it just brought home to me this issue of this is you know, one of the most innovative you know, most recently de- delivered interactive experiences, and, and already it's, it's on the kind of downgrade. And, and it still works with the iPad too, but it's just, you know, the fact that you've designed something for a specific piece of technology that pretty much is going to disappear in, in, you know, a couple of years if you're lucky. And so, and so it gets you thinking about, well, then how do you disconnect yourself from the, the technology and, and what do you focus on to... to you know, survive in, a, in an information-rich, you know, culture. I, I 
couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I've always been concerned ex, uh, exhibition development projects, uh, the big ones usually have a three to five year trajectory. And we're often uh, developing the technology uh, that we know is uh, going to be obsolete by the time we, uh, uh, we're doing our launch. Uh, we try to uh, uh, delay the hardware, uh, hardware um, purchases as much as we can, but eventually we have to do it. Uh, so, and, and, of course, you were giving an example about the, the Cleveland uh, Museum of Art, which is a, a very large, venerable uh, institution that can maybe afford to take a little, little bit of a risk. But I'm very concerned about some of the smaller institutions that feel as if you know, they've got to put all of their eggs in one basket and they have one chance to get it right and don't have any funding to recover. It's, you know, and I think, well, so, the, so, you know, creating this stuff is, is a process, and, and some of it is, is never going to change. So, you know, when, you, when you're creating content around, you know, a collection, the, the way you do that pretty much is going to stay the same. So, you know, you're always going to talk about objects in the same way. You, you're always going to bring up, you know, themes and techniques and, you know, artist information and contextual information. You're always going to do that. And it's really just about the delivery. And the problem is too many people get focused on the delivery part of it as opposed to thinking about how you can, you know, create all this um, content in a, um, in a kind of a, a scalable way that is detached from um, the, the kind of frontline technology and, and really lets you know, people coming to the museum use their own device. You know, there's a movement now, you know, BYOD, which is bring your own device. You know, museums, and, and my museum included, particularly art museums and, and science museums do a much better job of, of this, and that's in supporting technology. You know, because, you know, in a science museum, you know, the curatorial teams are technologists quite often, or they certainly have a great affinity and ability with technology, which isn't the case in in an art museum, um, for example. And so you, um, it, it creates, you, you know, you want to focus on what you're really good at. And, and art museums are really good at creating content. And you, you create an infrastructure that just allows you to deliver it independent of the, of the device. And that's really how you need to, you know, think about this stuff. You've got to, you've got to focus on the, the trend and, and really ignore the technology as much as you can. But, that, but yeah. that's hard because, you know, yeah. quite often it's the, the funding that you can, that museums can secure for this kind of stuff is, is focused on that kind of front-end piece that's going to get in front of the visitor. And it, and it really does skew what the, the thought process should be. So, you know, you go to a, you know, a sponsor and say, we're going to create this interactive experience. And they say, great. And, you know, I want to see it on a big touch screen and I want our name, you know, really big here. And, and it puts too much focus on the delivery as opposed to creating some sustainable content in, your, in the back end that is going to allow you to, over the years, you know, kind of redeploy to, to different, you know, you know whatever the, the, the flavor of technology that people are using uh, of the day is. I'm so glad to hear you hear you say that. I, I 
What I find a, a bit ironic, however, is that uh, when you say that, that science museums and natural history museums, of course, are, are curated by people who are technologists in and of themselves, they're, which would lead you to believe that they are uh, more attuned to, uh, to technology. Um, it, to be honest, my experience and what I've been observing across the uh, the country, um, I think the UK is a little little bit ahead of us in this regard. But that art, the, some of the most innovative stuff I'm seeing is coming from art museums, uh, and and some of the science museums are still struggling with the idea that maybe they need to be. Uh, they seem to do exhibits about the technology itself. Uh, instead of actually mm. using it, I know I was just in uh, I was in London uh, last fall and was at the Science Museum and they have a very interesting exhibit about uh, 3D printing and it was fun and colorful and interesting and and but I walked away and now I'm still wondering why you would use 3D printing in a museum. I mean I, I just I I didn't get anything <laughs> out of it other than oh look you can you can build red things and blue things and yellow things and it was all very pretty but uh uh i didn't learn a whole i i, I couldn't apply it um yeah, no and, and i understand i understand what you're saying and, and i really do think it, you know it's kind of across the board and and one you know particularly for art museums you know they are they've struggled with this issue of you know what? What is it? it? The whole the whole premise certainly of an art museum is to get someone in in front of a work of art and have a visceral experience with that. And so, in some part, you know, art museums are trying to overcompensate for that lack of being able to get in front of the the work of art. You know, using technology and and not looking at the object itself, but looking at uh, a surrogate of it. So, I, I you know, unfortunately, I think it's you know, while I do agree with you, I, I do think. The, it kind of depends where you go, and there's no consistency um, around it. And, and, and frankly, that points to another um, kind of issue that we have is in, in the, across the museum world where a lot of technology innovation is down to the individual. And it's kind, it's kind of like the MVP on a football team. You, you know, if you have a good player on a football team, and if they leave and move somewhere else, a lot of that... Um, it, you know, skill and expertise goes with them, and the, and the whole team, you know, is affected. And it's, you know, there are there are a bunch of names that I could I could reel off in the kind of museum technology community, and you identify them immediately with you know particular a particular skill set and a particular ability to deliver innovative technology solutions. And and the problem with that is it's it's not ingrained wholesale into the institution itself. It really does rely on on individuals to carry these things, you know, carry the torch and deliver these, um, these kind of you know, technology innovations and, and, and very cool ways of using technology to engage the visitor. That's, that's very interesting. Um, uh, I was... Uh, I you're wanted to know what I, I am. I am. I'm absolutely well. Yes, it never it never happens. So everyone is now stunned. But um, uh, I think we'll talk. A li- I I wanted to uh, follow up a little bit on on this. I was just also sort of checking our our, our break time because I don't want to uh, cut you off. But I think I'm going to go ahead. Uh, it I 
I am fascinated uh, with this with this issue of, as you say, the MVP or the the individual. Uh, often, um, I, I know even five years ago, I was going to the museums and the web conference and and trying to begin to understand you know some of the really technological innovations uh, coming coming on board. And what I what I really noticed is is that of course that conference uh, was populated primarily by people who actually are doing technology in their in their institutions they were often though stuck sort of down i always thought down in the basement and they worked you know under the archivist uh or the collection manager and their day job was of course to try to work on the technology that would help an, uh, uh assess the collection or, or or make it more accessible uh in those days and they were often very young people this might have been their first job and they but they had all of these wonderful ideas to expand uh into the public side of the museum and i thought well how are you know within a, a typical museum structure uh how are they ever going to do that because they you know going up through the committees or or the the divisions and the departments is very challenging for any of us, let alone uh, someone who's coming just into the profession is trying to uh, to expand their reach. So uh, this idea of how you embed people in an institution within a way that they can still have voice over the whole institution is 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 very interesting to me. It's, you know, and I, so, so I have this theory that I, I know you're dying to hear um, about how, how really, if you look at how technology got into museums, you know, in the, in the mid-90s, it started as this kind of under the radar. So people who had, you know, a, a hobbyist or an amateurist interest in these things were the ones that took on the mantle of bringing technology into museums. So you know, you know, the guy with the computer at home suddenly became the IT guy, and you know, the the person who was maybe just interested in in this new thing called the internet became the the webmaster, and 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 maybe the the designer, the book designer in the publications department became the the web designer, and so all this thing, all this technology stuff and work was getting done completely free of charge and and completely unknown um, to 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 the higher uh, you know, executives, and then it becomes so ingrained and and crucial to the business of the museum in the in the kind of mid 2000s that it, it you just couldn't hide it anymore. And all of a sudden, we went from kind of zero cost to doing this stuff to you know executives bulking at how much this stuff was cost and saying, well, how, how come all of this is is suddenly costing us this? this amount of money. The problem with that is all those people were just under the radar and, and it was never kind of out in the open. And so, you know, and I kind of, as a, as a previous museum technologist, I kind of blame, blame myself in some, in some part for not, you know, exposing what was going on kind of earlier on in, in the development of this. But, you know, it, that's what we're, we're fighting against in, I kind of sound like a rebel, um, but, you know, that's the challenge is, is there's a history of this not being exposed to the executive level, and and now the, you you can't avoid it, and it, and it's and many museums struggle with figuring out where these people should live and and what it really means, you know, who should be leading the kind of technology stuff, and 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 thinking that it's about technology is where the the root problem is. Yeah, thank you. 
Thank you. That that was great. Uh, I, I think I think that is a challenge. And and let's uh, we're going to stop for a short break, and we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to continue talking with Nick, uh, solving some of our digital dilemmas. Uh, I want to let you know, of course, that that and encourage you to read Nick's blogs on uh, recoveringtechnologist.com, also musematic.net, and Medea nmc.org. Of course, you can always reach me with your comments and questions at carol.bossard at verizon.net. And you can listen to this show and any others that you may have missed on my website, carolbossardservices.com. So we'll be back in just a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Carla Howell, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I'm here uh, today with Nick Honeyset. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the uh, – Nick has a very interesting sort of theory about how we got to where we are today, and one of the challenges being that so many of the people who really have the technology drive and the creativity are often not high enough within the museum's org chart to have a voice. Uh, we were talking 
talking uh, during the break a little bit about a colleague, uh, Max Anderson, at the Dallas Museum of Art. And uh, just to say that uh, Max will be on the show in a couple of weeks and we can hear a little bit more about some of, some of his innovations. But I think, Nick, what we were, we were saying is that it really gets back to helping senior administration understand the importance, the, uh, the need for doing these kinds of things, and getting them over perhaps what's a little bit of a risk aversion. And it sounds to me that you've done that quite admirably by now becoming head of administration. You can't really get too much higher than that to have a voice in an institution. So, well, so now I have, you know, my background is, is technology and, and hence my self-styled status of recovering technologist. And so, I, you know, like many technologists in museums, you know, I struggled with convincing executives, you know, how, you know, why these things are important and why should we, why we should invest in them. And at some point, I became so frustrated that I decided, well, I'm going to do something about it and get on the other side of the of the desk and, and be able to then encourage and, and promote risk in um, in the organization. And, and really, the the key to um, to promoting risk is is to give people permission to fail. And, and you kind of have to explicitly say it. And I and I've had the opportunity to work with a number of museums in helping them think about you know a, a digital strategy. And that's I often, to, to the uh, great delight of, of staff who are in, we normally have these kind of forums where we can talk about all these things, you know, I've called the director out and, and asked them to stand up and say, literally, I give you permission to fail on some of these technology projects because that's the only way we're going to advance. And, and while it, you know, the problem is if it's, if the director think it, thinks it's, you know, kind of implicit in the organization, that's a problem. It needs to be explicit that you're not going to lose your job if, you know, you do something and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't work. So, so in a way, we need to continue to bring the entrepreneurial inventor mentality uh, into the mu- museum uh, and particularly the museum boardroom. Because, of course, the director is probably looking around and saying, well, that's all fine and good for you to give me permission, Nick, but you better tell my board chairman that, that, uh, that this thing is going to, ha- going to be happening, and it may not be as perfect as we thought. And I think, you know, there are certainly, you know, frameworks now, you know, like design thinking and agile methods where you can minimize the risk to, uh, you know, quite significantly. You know, if you get away from the, the traditional waterfall method of, of building out technology where you progress, you know, in, 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 in small steps and, and as opposed to trying something, you know, doing something, trying it out. If it doesn't work, you, you know, you, you, you don't go down that route. You pick another route. You do a little, little more. You try it out and you, and you experiment and, and you get in this iterative cycle where you don't, you don't expose yourself to a massive risk. You're just taking very a sequence of very small risks as you're, as you're progressing. And, and really, you know, as we were talking earlier about, you know, focus on the content. You know, that's really where, um, where the, the, the longevity and the sustainability of these things are because the technology itself is, is going to disappear. It's going to change. It's going to morph into something else. And, and so, you know, hooking onto the technology is, is, is part of the problem. 
I, you know, as you were, you were talking, it was reminding me of the conversation that I had last week with Leslie Bedford and talking about the art of exhibitions. And one of the points she, she made, uh, that really stuck with me is the idea that exhibitions are the museum, are akin to the, uh, to the ballet or to the theater. It's a, it's a production. It has a life of its own. It comes, it goes, it's fleeting. And that's what makes it so magical. Mm-hmm. And so sort of talking about how we can be more fleet of foot in our, and I'm just using exhibitions as an example, we could talk about programming or any kind of other service that the museum provides, how we can work toward making those more uh, 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 quick and, as you say, iterative and not uh, uh putting all of our resources behind uh, a single technology. I think that that's, that's uh, a good question to be asking ourselves. No, I, I agree. And again, I, I think it's, you know, te- technology is a, is a solution to a problem. And if you don't define the problem, you know, the technology is not going to solve it and you're going to have an unhappy experience. So, you know, it's often... You know, the worst, the worst thing, this is going to resonate with any museum technologist listening, the worst thing you can hear your director say after they come back from a trip somewhere is, you know, the opening, the opening line is, I sat next to this guy on the plane. And then you just know that some, <laughs> some software or hardware, you know, person has got into their brain of this, you know, revolutionary new technology that the director is now completely, you know, interested in. And then, you know, you spend the rest of the, you know, a bunch of months trying to talk the director, you know, down off the ledge about how important this thing really isn't. And, and, it, and it's, a, you know, it's a challenge as opposed to, you know, the, helping the director understand, you know, this isn't, you know, all this digital stuff isn't going away. You know, it's 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 here. We're not we're not in a period of trying it and then we're going to go back to the way it was. You know, it's here, so you you kind of have to suck it up, as it were, and 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 start thinking about the real longevity of these things. And, and you know, part of the the challenge that many museums face, and and my own institution included, and we're doing something about it now, is you, you create these disparate islands of content all around the same thing. So exhibitions is a good, is a, you know, a good example where you'll create a, an interactive experience for the exhibition and it's about your, your works of art, but it's totally disconnected from maybe your core, you know, your, your collections management system. And so then you have all these kind of disparate islands of content all talking about the same thing. And then you, for example, you need to reattribute a, a work of art, you, you know, you, you can't do it. You know, you've got you've got to go and touch each one of those those places, those islands, and 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 do that update, as opposed to stepping back and thinking, how do we create this infrastructure where we can manage, you know, in a single place all this information and then deploy it out, you know, as and when uh, we need it. You know, the the best thing for an exhibition designer would be to just have access to content where they could just say, you know, what I need information about these 23 works of art and, you know, these 19 artists and these five, you know, themes and, you know, these four geographic areas and just 
put, you know, be able to pull all that stuff together and know that if any change is made, it's just going to flow through. So that's very that's very interesting. Just uh, to make sure that I I understand, uh, so that. In many of our institutions right now, we're faced with having uh, software that we deploy in the exhibit, for instance, and we might have another bit of software that we use for an app or a web-based uh, uh, activity. And then we have another uh, program or, or uh, as you say, island for the collection. And that perhaps uh, at this point, what a, a savvy museum director might do is to say, okay, well, the real problem is these things need to talk to each other. And if I create, if I put my money where the infrastructure is, that then no matter what the app or the what's it or the who's it that comes on down the line, I will have a way of distributing that content. So it's like in the olden days, we're not having to type it twice. Exactly. Am I right? Exactly that. And so, and, it, and it's less about those things kind of talking to each other and being connected to your kind of central authoritative um, you know, information source so that you have, you know, you, you, you manage your, your content, you create your interpretive content, you know, your, your research, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you, you literally roll out a, a view of it in a, in a completely repeatable way to, to create an interactive or, you know, a, a set of audio tours or, you know, the website or, you know, what, whatever it is. That's that's very interesting. I think that's a very important point to to remember. Um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit, though. I had, as you were talking, I had a, a another question. It's one that that plagues me sometimes, and since it's my show, I get to ask the questions. Uh, and that is, uh, as you you were you mentioned before. This kind of digital technology is here to stay. Luddites need not apply. So is there a, you know, a suite of, of digital applications that any quality institution should just be using? I mean, are there, you know, here are the top five things that you need to be doing to keep relevant. Um, I think you know, to keep relevant, You've got to keep doing. You've got to disconnect the technology. You know, you you got to stop focusing on on technology. And you know, again, the worst thing your director can say is, "We need an app." It's yes. like, well, no. You know, what's the what's the problem? You know, what are we trying to solve? And then you know, rely on the the, the technologists to kind of figure out. And and maybe it's not technology. You know, maybe it's um, a, something else. You know, my you know, technology is not always the the answer. The problem is that a lot of people define tech, you know, say, we start off by saying, okay, we're going to build an app or we need an app or we need this thing as opposed to what's the problem? You know, define the problem first and then let's, let's fix it. it. It may be, you know, my, my kind of one example is, so you, you want to engage your, your visiting audience m more viscerally with your collection. So then you spend... Maybe you get money for a hundred thousand, maybe two hundred thousand dollars to do this, you know, technology project um, that is mobile and does all this stuff. Well, you know, maybe you want to spend a hundred thousand employing a couple of docent schedulers 
um, and, and build a docent program so that it's actually a physical experience. I mean, I think you, you have to figure out what's important to the, to the institution and, and what makes the most sense for them at this time. Because maybe getting some tech, you know, maybe they have no technology staff, and that, that's a real problem with, and it's all, it all goes back to my kind of launch party theory, is you bring these technologists in, consultants maybe, to, to build out some, some, you know, gizmo, and then they, they deliver it, you have the launch party, they go away, and nobody in the institution has any idea how to support it. As opposed to if you were, you know, if you could get the money to, to create a couple of positions to manage a docent program, and you have, you know, people have real, you know, perish the thought that real people would take you around the galleries and, and describe works of art and, you know, behind the scenes, you know, gems and all those kinds of things. So I, I think there's always a, a focus. I mean, there are some technologies that absolutely institutions should have. And, um, you know, really, you need to go through a process of figuring out what your requirements are. And, and, and because there's always more than one choice for um, for a technology solution, but you know the core ones are a collections management system. You know, if, if you're an institution that has a collection and doesn't have a collections management system, then you know you should just shut up shop and, and, and go home. And then there are you know you need a way of managing your assets, and and there are you know there are so many solutions out there to do this to do these kinds of things. You really do need to do a good job of of figuring out what the problem is, and then applying a, an appropriate technology solution to it. So what you're saying is that an institution needs to look at its mission and then say, how can we, what are our problems or what are our challenges in fulfilling our mission? One of them you've just stated is, can we manage our collection assets? Do we know where they are? Do we, uh, can we get to them and can we provide intellectual and physical access to others? Exactly that. And those are the really fundamental things. You know, I'd often, I'd love to convince a museum to do an experiment of, um, to stop doing social media and see what happens. You know, oh, like, those are fighting words. Aren't I know. They? Well, it's, it's like, you, you know, you, you never, sometimes you never know how important something is until it's gone. And, and you know, there's, you know, so um, companies who have products who are always uh, advertising, you know, what if they stopped advertising? Would the product, you know, stop spending those advertising dollars on advertising and move them to, to, um, offset the, the price of the actual product, and maybe then it would sell itself. You know, and I often wonder if the, just as a thought experiment, and I don't know whether anybody has the, um, the kahunas to do it, is to stop, stop doing social media and see, see what happens. Take a pause. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take another uh, commercial break. We will be back in just a few moments uh, to continue our conversation with Nick Honeysett. Uh, Honeysett, I'm sorry. Remember, you can always get him at Twitter at at Ann Honeyset. You also please his his blogs are very accessible. I'm very uh, even for people like me uh, at recoveringtechnologist.com, musematic.net, and medea.nmc.org. Of course, always reach out to me, please, at carol.bossard at verizon.net, and we'll be back in just a minute. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. I'm Carol Bossert. I'm here with Nick Honeysett. Honey set today, and in the second time I bring Nick back uh, later later in the year, I'll be able to pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Nick, this has been really really uh, engaging and interesting. And before we you know, sort of wind down in in this last uh, segment, what I think might be helpful uh, for museum leaders who are listening today, and and note that I'm not just saying museum directors, but museum leaders, even you know those technologists who are down in the basement, you know, get a voice uh, because you really are leading this. And what are the questions that they should be asking themselves when they say, "How can my museum stay relevant and sustainable in this digital age?" You know, I, th- I think about this a lot, and, and I think it, it's it's not it's not about the technology; it's about the people. And it's, if you look after the people, they will figure this out for you. And, and I think there is, a, there is a, a kind of broad perception by museum leaderships that people will figure technology stuff out without any support or any training. And, and I think the, they, have, you know, they have to instill creativity and innovation and, and a, um, a culture of learning about this stuff. You know, so something will come along and, you know, they'll just pick somebody and say, okay, now you're the, you're the social media person without any um, thought that they might need any skill sets or training, you know, to do that. And, and I always recommend 
as I kind of talk to boards and, and museum leadership to, you know, the Google model of, you know, they have this 80-20 rule of uh, for every Google employee, and I, I think they're still doing it, every Google employee spends 80% of their time doing their, the job that they were hired for, and then 20% of their time doing something that is on the periphery of, of their job, you know, that is something that is interesting, something that is relevant broadly to the, to the organization, but it's a period of um, kind of official creativity time and official innovation time. And certainly for Google, some of the major products that have come out of the Google shop have come out of this 20% time. And, and I really encourage, you know, museum leaders to, to adopt a similar you know, for, formalize the creativity process. You know, creativity is, is a muscle that needs to be exercised, and, and innovation is a muscle that needs to be exercised. And you have to give people, again, permission to, to kind of do that exercising. You know, so maybe it's, you know, every Friday afternoon, you know, we get pizza in and everybody sits around and we, we look at something that, you know, another institution has just done, and we just riff around that. And maybe something comes out of it, and, and maybe it doesn't. And the first time that everybody meets, or probably the first few times, it's probably going to feel, you know, a little stilted and, and not much is happening. And then as you gradually start get pe getting people thinking about this, it, you, you start to see stuff happening. And, and you need to give people time to, to learn about this stuff and, and do the research. You know, n not on their own time. You know, you, you've got to it's got to be part of their job. You know, make somebody, you know, a, a part-time, you know, innovation manager in their, in their department. You know, they're the one responsible for thinking about how their particular department innovates or is creative. And it's not necessarily about, you know, we've got to bring some technology in, but, you know, how can we do things better? How can we do things differently? You know, question, you know, just question what the department is doing. Because sometimes that's all that you need to do is just, question, okay, why are we going to do this, as opposed to, you know, what a, a lot of museums do, there is just some accepted way of doing something or an accepted, you know, program of work that nobody has ever questioned. It's just, that's the way we've been doing it. You know, what this reminds me of too, Nick, is one of the major themes that is uh, I, I would like to take credit that I was, was organizing my programs this way, but I can't. But it is a theme that keeps coming over again and again with my guests. And that is museums need to reclaim themselves as creative organizations. And that particularly in this period of economic shrinking. Uh, instead of just gasping and panicking and saying, we must stop what we're doing. We need to pull back what we're doing and going into this, this feeling of, of, of almost survival. It is at those very moments that we need to say no. We are embracing our creativity. We need to think about doing things differently. And we need to use these hard times as that spark for creativity. Uh, you know, I totally agree with you. And, it, and it's, you know, many external pressures, you know, economic, financial. And, and, it, and instead of stepping up and, and facing those, you know, challenges head on, I agree with you. In, in, museums are just in this kind of survival mode. And, and just repeating, you know, it, it kind of worked or it worked, so let's just do it again, as opposed to 
you know, really stepping back. And, and you know, one of the one of the one of my big challenges, and again, I, I always advise museum leaders and, and, and staff and board to think about this. And it's, you know, start start thinking about metrics. You, you know, get some real. As, as in, there's a great quote from um, I don't know if you know Len Steinbeck. He would be a great um, uh, person to get on. He's a kind of a technology strategist. He actually used to be at the Cleveland Museum of Art. He was their IT director. And he has this great quote about um, there are so many desirable ways of using technology. Your choice must not rely on intuitive, personal, parochial, or political reasons. And I just love that as a way of you know you, you've got to use museums often when they do use metrics. They cherry pick the results to confirm their previous assumptions, as opposed to really looking at what metrics are telling you and, and doing something um, about it. And you know, we talked about Max um, Anderson earlier on, and you know, Max was really the one who who first put up a dashboard for a museum saying, "Here are our metrics, and we're now in a uh, in a mode of of looking at that." And um, We've been successful at the AAM board. We've been through this you know, significant strategic planning process. And part of that was we have a dashboard at AAM, and at some point I think we're going to release it uh, or certainly expose it to the membership of, of um, metrics that we're now capturing. And it has an unbelievable effect and, and focus for staff in terms of, you know, here, here are the nine things that we're measuring ourselves against. And it's, it's about sustainability and, and success and, and excellence and all those kinds of things. But these are the nine metrics that we now focus on, uh, our attention on. And it's not necessarily, okay, you've got to keep increasing these, these metrics, you know, week on week. It's, this, is, this is a focus for us now and, and bringing the whole, you know, the whole organization along with that focus is a key. And, and I don't know if you've met, read... Um, um, what is it? Magnetic, the art of uh, science yes. engagement. You know, you see these successful museums, and what they're doing is they're getting everybody together in in the same, you know, looking at the same thing, thinking in the same way. And those are exactly, you know, they're not surviving. They're not just doing the same thing that they've been doing, you know, for forever. They're looking at how they're, you know, they're using metrics. They're looking at, you know, now we need to focus on customer service, for example. And so you start thinking about well, what are what are the metrics that we can measure how successful we are for customer service. And it really does. It's a focal point for an organisation to start thinking alike, and that's part of the key. Yes, as in in uh, in my words, I always say, let's make sure that we're all speaking the same language and we've created a shared vocabulary. Exactly. I don't care, I don't care whether that vocabulary is Russian, French, or English, but let's build it together so that we know what these these terms mean. And and I'm glad that you talked about metrics being beyond just uh, quantitative. Uh, measures. I think that that was a was another um, uh, gambit that we used to use. We thought, well, if the banking industry can measure themselves quantitatively, we should too. But you know, there aren't that many quantitative measures in the museum world that really are useful. That it, don't just stall us into looking at dollars and cents or people through the door. And then when we start talking about a digital world, we go, oh, well, that doesn't relate to either one of those. Instead of saying, what, what is it that we do? Exactly. I mean, you know, look at the, the one example I use is, is Yelp. 
So, you know, there's a metric there that is a qualitative metric. So people are coming to your institution and then they're going on to Yelp and they're saying they're rating the experience they have with you. And, you know, that doesn't require that, you know, an institution get in, you know, a, um, a, an evaluator or have to spend money on, you know, doing this stuff. It's, it's, it's out there, you know, encourage, you know, when you have visitors coming in, encourage them to have an experience and then tell us about it on Yelp. I mean, there are, there are ways, you know, there are so many ways to achieve, if, if you can successfully define the problem, there are so many ways to figure out the, um, the solution and, and, and free ways. It, it, just, it just takes somebody's time and attention. You know, it doesn't require and, uh, capital outlay. That's right. And someone, as you just said, who you're going to anoint within the institution to do the research and pay them to do it. This isn't something they're going to squeeze in on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Define, define, you know, def, explicitly define roles. You know, that's, a, that's another challenge in, in museums of um, explicitly defining roles and responsibilities in an organization. Well, and particularly in a collaborative age. Yes. Yeah, there's so well, many gray areas about where, you know, where one individual stops and where another, you know, picks up the, um, the process or the project or whatever it is. Yes. Well, Nick, we've got about uh, four more minutes, uh, and I want to give you an opportunity to crow a little bit about yourself and, and your uh, your current organization, the Getty. Uh, what is one or what is one of your uh, most one of one of your initiatives that you're uh, most proud of right now? You know, I think the the. Um there's a couple that, that are really standing out and fairly recent. Well, actually, one's been going for about five years, which is the uh, the online scholarly catalog initiative, which was really the um, the Getty saying, we are now in the digital age. We need to figure out what version two of the scholarly catalog looks like. And, and really, it was a pushing back, saying it's not just creating a PDF and, and posting that up on your website. It's a very complicated thing, and don't underestimate how complicated it is, and, and we'll give you some money to figure that out, but it's about creating you know, a rich experience using the environment and, and the tools and functionality that's available to you in a, in a networked in, environment, and then, and then what does that look like? So it wasn't prescriptive. It was, you know, here's eight museums, figure this out. Here are the broad parameters. Here's some money. The, the outcome needs to be, we, we want to see something. We want to see what you think a, a version two of a, of a scholarly catalog in an online environment um, looks like. But also, we want to see that you've, you've figured out how to make it sustainable, kind of ongoing. And, and I, I, I've been really proud of the, of the, so over those five years, we've had convenings periodically, you know, once a, a quarter or twice a year. And, and where everyone has come together and discussed all the challenges, which have been shared by everybody, but really was a, um, a, a really interesting um, project to be involved with. And then the other thing that really stands out in my mind is we, we adopted an open content um, initiative for um, works of art for, for which we have the rights um, to. And so we just... In, in high resolution, we, we put these uh, images out there. And, and the reason that, it, you know, the Getty has a history of, of control and, and um, you know, wanting to keep, you know, we have a history with, 
the richest man, as a, the richest man in the world as our founder. And so, you know, it kind of creates this kind of desire to, to control things. But, you know, to me, it was a complete one, 180 degree turn saying, because this open content policy, high resolution images, we don't care what you do with them. Commercial use, we don't care. We want you to use and experience our collection in, in any way um, that you want. And, and that really, I think, was a significant moment um, for us. And, and we weren't the first to, um, um, to get there. Uh, you know, other institutions, um, the National Gallery and Rijksmuseum and, and various others. But I, I, I believe we're one of the first to actually say commercial use. Yes, I, I, that's a great uh, way to end today. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll be back uh, next week with another really great program. I hope you'll listen. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for You're being with welcome. us today. I, I completely enjoyed it, Carol. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. <laughs>